On today's Startup Jab, we talk about how business plans can lead to a job, what you should do on a Skype interview, and how college students can start their own company. Plus, we discuss why asking your parents for money is occasionally a good idea. This is Startup Jab. Welcome to Startup Jab. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Startup Jab. I am one of your hosts, Jason Nellis. With me, as always, the salsa to my chips, Teague Hopkins. Teague, how are you today? Spicy. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us for the very first time, Startup Jab is your regular uh, booster shot for your startup needs. We are here to help you figure out some of those challenges about startups and in general, just make yourself feel good that you're doing some really interesting stuff out there. Uh, Teague and I uh, both own our own businesses and we're here to help in whatever way we can. Um, if you're just joining us for the first time, um, check out our website at startupjab.com where you can subscribe to our mailing list and get updates about upcoming shows when we do live shows and updates about new shows from the podcast when we release them and ask questions and all kinds of other wonderful things. So join our mailing list. Absolutely. It's growing every minute. Uh, well, okay, maybe every day. Well, it's, it's growing, <laughs> technically speaking. <laughs> um, today's subject is going to be an interesting one. It's, it, we're going to be talking about how to, how to break in and get started in the world of startups. Because I think that, that every now and again, it's worth you know, starting from the very beginning. Wouldn't you agree, Teague? Yeah, I think you know, it's, it's, a, uh, it's an increasingly hot field to be in, and a lot of people... Uh, have questions about you know how do I get started in this? I've never worked for a startup before. Um, I don't know how to break into this this industry. Um, so we're going to tackle some of those questions today. Sounds good. Let's jump right into it. All right. So our first question comes from uh, a user on Quora um, who says, "I win business plan competitions. What jobs can I get?" Um, goes on to say uh, that he or she has won three business plan competitions. Um, and the last one uh, worked on an idea by themselves, um, even when no one believed on it, believed it in it. And uh, other groups had, had larger teams, um, which we'll get to that in a second. Um, and uh, this person thinks that they have a keen understanding of how to validate a concept by collecting the right qualitative data, pivoting around feedback. Basically, they they're, they think they're pretty good at doing this this lean startup thing, and uh, and they have a, they have a knack for understanding why people buy things and why they engage with a company. Um, they really love understanding customer behavior or consumer behavior. Um, and they, you know, this is the kind of stuff that they want to do. What jobs or job paths would let them do this kind of thing every day? It's a great question. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. And Teague, I, I want you to, to tell me why I'm wrong here. I believe as the devil's advocate in this particular moment, that if you win business plan competitions and this stuff is embedded in your DNA, you should just dive right in and go start a business. Why work for somebody else when you can go learn it all on your own and benefit yourself with the potential upside of starting a potentially a strong and, and thriving business? All right, so so let's let's talk about a, there's a couple of, a couple of different takes on that that I have one one thing is you know just because you can win a business plan competition doesn't mean you can run a business um, or that you can grow a business right this is this is the early stage stuff it doesn't mean that you're necessarily good at the later stage stuff or you know all of the various growth stages in between it also doesn't necessarily mean that you want to do the other stuff right if what you really enjoy is is that early stage stuff of uh, of doing customer validation and, and doing the, the, the early 
um, the early interviews and the early experiments, you may not be that excited about the company once you you know once you get to product market fit and it starts growing and and people start using it and and you're no longer creating something from scratch you're now you know tuning the engine instead of building it um and you know i, I think that i think that for a lot of people you know if something that they've created gets to that stage like it becomes exciting simply because other people are excited about it but i can totally relate to the like the feeling of being in the in the very beginning you're you're not that um you're not that excited about like what might come down the road you're really excited about trying out all these new things running all these experiments testing you know 10 different startup ideas um and and i can see the appeal of that yeah but teague the money i mean i'm just saying the money in startups is huge <laughs> oh god we're all so poor oh god that's not true um the, the but, but I, I assume you're being facetious please. here, right? Because the money in startups is not huge at all. Not at all. It's it's very much right. Like yeah, it's this is this is the, that's you're 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 referencing right the story that, uh, that that we always hear in the mainstream media about the the you know the myth of the overnight success. It's, right. You know, have idea, build company, sell to Facebook for a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the problem with this is you know we only hear about the successes in the media. We don't hear about the you know the literally hundreds of other companies doing the exact same thing that never got anywhere um and and that's the you know the 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 problem with survivorship bias is is if we look at it like the the only possible outcome is the is the outcome that is talked about in the media then we're we're deluding ourselves at at our our odds of success oh without a doubt and and truthfully i think the other part of it is uh there's a celebrity culture that has grown up around startups that i've noticed has been more and more the motivation for people to create or join a startup and less the desire to build a sustainable business that eventually, you know, throws off the kind of money that people can sustain on and brings the kind of value that, that others uh, need. For me, I think that, that oftentimes things like startup weekend, business competitions, et cetera, um, play to that celebrity culture more than they necessarily actually help mm-hmm. define and teach the kind of skills that one would need to build a successful startup. Um, I don't think it's valuable to build something that you plan to sell to somebody else unless your goal is to generate revenue over time that then invests into actual long-term businesses, that you're flipping businesses to build something larger in the long term, um, which is hard to do. Yeah, I think I think ironically, yeah, I think ironically this, you know, being good at winning business plan competitions probably does not prepare you for a job creating a startup. It, it's probably better preparation for um for for business consulting mm-hmm. or for maybe private equity or something like that sure. where where you really are working you know in on on this you know across across a bunch of different a bunch of different options um and and where you're really you know you're not looking at growing a sustainable company necessarily you're looking at uh exploring different market opportunities figuring out where to invest you know a larger companies or a larger funds um money where you're you know it's it's much more about that uh, that market research side of things. Um, speaking of market research, that might be a good career path mm-hmm. also for someone who really enjoys understanding consumer behavior and and uh, and, and you know interviewing customers and, and collecting that that qualitative data. Um, doing market research for a large company can be can be a lot of that stuff um, without the the later stages of of having to actually grow it into something. You you really set yourself up as as an advisor to the product group within it within a company sure well and i'd throw Um, two more of those out there as well i mean i think marketing strategy at an agency certainly requires a lot of these skills as well as somebody who runs a you know a marketing and creative agency we we are constantly looking at 
that kind of, uh, of, of research and analytical abilities is something we're hiring for. Um, the other side is, is lots of businesses need business intelligence, and that certainly you know, sort of, it brings all of that together in terms of doing not only the market research but making the specific recommendations and build, developing the plans necessary to execute on those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's lots of options so, out there. So what do you make of the – yeah, Jason, what do you make of the, 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 the comment at the beginning of this question about um, – you know, the, the, at the at the last business plan competition, this person entered. They worked on on an idea by themselves because no one believed in that idea, and all the other groups had teams of five plus. I think that's. What do you make of that? I think that that's interesting. I think it's also, uh, you know, kudos to the question asker for being able to to pull it off. Um, I don't think it means that they should take it on their own, and I, I certainly don't think it means that there isn't a benefit to finding other co-founders if they decided they wanted to pursue their own thing. Um, having said that, I mean, it sounds like the individual is self-sufficient. It sounds like the kind of person who can get stuff done, but of a Swiss army knife, which is certainly valuable in a lot of different areas. So, um, you know, while I wouldn't necessarily me- suggest that it means that they're qualified for any one particular thing, it does sound to me that they're capable. Um, and to their credit, they're able to, to take an idea that they believe in and pursue it, despite the fact that others don't necessarily believe in it. It does take a certain amount of vision when you really believe in something and others don't. And you want to, you know, you want to prove yourself right more than you want to prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it also probably is, is a good indicator for the type of jobs that, that, that somebody might be interested in because there's, there's jobs where, um, being able to move something forward when no one else believes in it is a valuable skill. And there's jobs where uh, not being able to get other people to believe in it in the beginning is just going to doom you to failure from the start. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking at, you know, and it's not necessarily career paths, but but even individual companies, like some companies really value people who can, you know, who can, you know, they'll, 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 you know, they'll take a flyer on you and say, all right, yeah, go run with it for a week and then come back and show us what you've got. And in other companies, like if you can't sell if you can't sell the team on it before you've even started, you don't get to do it at all. And so that's something that I would really look at in in interviewing for various jobs when you're when you're looking at it from this perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think there's plenty of opportunities out in the world to take those and you know take those skills and, and apply them in concepts we haven't even thought about. As as my father is often fond of saying, the world needs ditch diggers too, right? I'm sure there's ways to apply that. <laughs> Actually, I think that's a line from Caddyshack. It is. Okay. Anyway, not the point. Um, so, so your dad was in Caddyshack? No, but my dad really wanted to be in Caddyshack. Funny story, my dad actually had the opportunity to go work with a writer from Saturday Night Live during the early, during the mid seventies and he turned it down. And I think that may be one of the silliest things I'd heard growing up. Like my dad could have been an SNL writer (laughs) or maybe not. I don't know. There was a period there in the early eighties that that didn't go as well. So that might've been him. I don't know. I like the idea. Well, you know. (laughs) just Good ridiculous deal. anyway i'm gonna move on to the next question because imagining what my father could have been just that's therapy and that's not what this is um <laughs> in any event um so another question very plainly put i really like the simplicity of this can parents be angel investors and i think it's worth bringing up that that usually an angel investor is defined as a high net worth individual um who provides an investment or grant to you know a, a company um, in exchange for, you know, some sort of vested interest. So uh, technically, sure. I mean, a parent can be a, an angel investor, uh, you know, your friends, your your other family, your professors in college, if they have the money. Um, 
I guess my question actually is is not so much can they be, but should they be? I mean, t- t- yeah, do you think that, that family well, investing in a business is uh, necessarily a smart or not smart idea? So I think that uh, I think that that it, it depends on the family and it depends on the business. Um, I also think that uh, you know typically when we talk about um, friends and family investing we're talking about it as a friends and family round right as opposed to like an angel round right and and i know that you know with with uh with startup money being easier to come by over the last mm, say five years we'll call it um that that people sort of have have been raising larger rounds up front um but you know as as we might start to see a little bit of of price correction here and and startup funding becoming a little more scarce you might see people going back to the like raising the friends and family round first mm-hmm. where you sort of get enough money to prove your idea before you can actually put it in front of an angel investor because as angel investors start to get more um, more strict with their their requirements of, of traction before they're actually going to give you some money you may need that that friends and family round on the front end because they're they're just you know they're the people who are investing in you because you're you and they they think that you're going to be successful and it's it's as much a like a donation to you as it is an investment for a lot of people sure Absolutely, um, and I think that that kind of gets into your 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 point about like, do you actually want your family to invest in your business? Um, because that can be really stressful if your business isn't going well and you go home for Thanksgiving and <laughs> yeah. you know your 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 parents or or maybe your uncle or your cousin is like, so how are sales? Honey, I don't mean to how's that I business don't mean going? to be rude. You look like you haven't been eating enough. Is it because the business is failing and your quarterly reports are down twelve percent? exactly that's exactly how that would fly in my house i just want to be super clear mom dad if you're listening this is why i don't come to you asking for money investing in my business because i don't want the guilt of thanksgiving <laughs> i think it's 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 worth thinking about you know the things beyond uh getting the business off the ground yeah. right like there's there's uh you, you also and, and like particularly when you're talking about friends and family there is an obligation to make sure that they know what they're getting into, mm-hmm. right? If, if you're talking to angel investors who invest in startups all the time, they know the risks. But when you're talking to your friends and family, like they may be even more bought into the mainstream portrayal of the mid, like the, you know, the, the overnight success than, than you are. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, if you want to maintain those relationships, you need to have, you know, you need to have the serious conversation about like, what, what are we actually talking about here? What are the odds of this actually going, you know, going totally nowhere and you losing all of your money um, and making sure that they're really okay with that because there's nothing worse than, than, you know, somebody who maybe can't quite actually afford the investment they're making and makes a bet on you and the startup doesn't go as you had hoped it would. And it ends up being a strain on your relationship. Well, Um, and particularly, you know, those family relationships are going to last a lot longer than your business. Probably. Well, I'll say this, Uh, you know, it also depends on, on the status of, you know, the entrepreneur and, and what the parent thinks that they're investing in. Are they really investing in the business or are they investing in, in the entrepreneur's education? Um, if, if a parent realizes mm-hmm. that they're going to, you know, give $5,000 to their kid and they're, they're not going to get the $5,000 back, that's not the point. But that $5,000 is going to teach them $50,000 worth of education, you know, learning how to run a business, learning how to manage, you know, their resources, learning what happens when things get tight that might be worthwhile as a parent. And then it's less of an angel investment and more of a, of a lesson opportunity. Um, I, I want to say it was, I yeah, who, can't believe I'm about to admit this, but I used to read the Rich Dad, Poor Dad books back before I knew better. And there was one great example of a father <laughs> who, you know, his son came to him and said, I want, I want to buy a car. And the dad said, okay, 
going to give you $3,000. The car you want is $6,000. Take the $3,000, invest in the stock market. When it becomes $6,000, then you can go buy the car. And the story goes that the kid was, you know, he, he put the money in and he'd gotten some early good returns and then it sunk and he started to learn more. And that at the time of the storytelling that he'd lost half of it, but he was so enamored and, and learning so much about investment that he didn't care about the car anymore. He wanted to he wanted to make more money on the stock market. So those kinds of moments, I think, could be valuable object lessons. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a lot better to uh, to play with three thousand dollars when you're, you know, 16 than to play with a hundred thousand dollars when you're saving your retirement and trying to put it in the stock market for a big return and then realizing you can't play the stock market right um better better lose the the, the 1500 than to lose 50,000 when you're retired when you're you know depending on that right. for your your retirement right day. well but uh yeah I'm, I'm trying to think of who it was who suggested that um that like buying a subway franchise might be a better education than than going to college mm. Interesting. I don't. Who, I forget who was proposing this, but but it's it's kind of it's it's that same idea of like you know what, the the franchise costs about as much as as going to some some you know four year colleges, and at the end of it you actually have a working business, and because it's a franchise, they kind of hold your hand through learning how a business works, and and it's a it's actually a pretty good education, mm -hmm. um, and for some people I think that's totally true. Um, I don't think that you know I don't think there's a one size fits, fits all solution, but uh, but it's it's an interesting to think about the you know. If you think about, uh, and and I think more recently and more and more popularly is the idea of you know, well, I'm going to spend two years working on a startup instead of going to get an MBA. Yeah. Um, because I, I you know, at least at the end of the startup, I'm not a hundred thousand dollars in debt. <laughs> well, and who wants that, right? I mean, I guess unless you're super rich and a hundred grand, who cares? I mean, I'm not. God, I'd love to be rich. I mean, you know, oh, and, and and to be clear, I say this as someone who actually went and got an MBA, um, so I'm not I'm not disparaging uh, all, all of you know everyone with an MBA. It's just uh, worth worth thinking about what the various options are for for getting that right. education. And without an MBA, I can be the one to disparage it because I don't know better. It's super great. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, very cool. I uh, I don't know. I, to wrap it up, though, um, do you think that it's do you think that it is universally a challenging position to put your parents in and maybe they're they're not the right people to pursue for angel investment? No, I don't think it's universal. Okay. I think I think that there's some cases where um where it's a great way to 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 get started, right? I mean, in in some cases um you know, depending on your relationship and depending on your parents' financial position, it can be a great a great opportunity to get started in you know it's it's you you may be you may be one of the people who has the 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 opportunities that a lot of people don't and you know just because not everybody has those opportunities doesn't mean you shouldn't yeah. take advantage of them fair enough all right so moving into our our next question here if you're not going to uh, go to your parents for for angel investing funds and you're going to try to get a job at a startup instead uh how should i prepare with a how should I prepare for a Skype interview at a startup? Is the question coming to us, um, Jason? Oof. What are well, your first of all, um, you know, there's two components to this that I think are important. One is the job interview portion, of course, the knowledge of the company, understanding their platforms, understanding their positioning within the market, knowing what the job is that you're looking at, how does that fit into their org structure? A lot of important things there that I think, you know, generally speaking, you can find in any good interviewing website. Um, the other part of it, frankly, is to have good lighting. 
make sure that you're setting up a really good looking Skype. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the things that actually is very limiting about a Skype interview is the fact that because you're looking at somebody in one steady static frame, it's not the same thing as, as sitting in a room with someone and people often mistake the two. Um, mm -hmm. I would say get good lighting, make sure that you, you know, you check your sound, Skype in with somebody, you know, down the hall just to make sure that the, there's no echo or anything like that and try it for, you know, a round or two and get some feedback with somebody. I think otherwise you, you are rolling the dice. Yeah. And, and definitely, definitely check check your internet connection make sure that you're mm -hmm. fa that it's fast enough and that like get, get somewhere where there's not a lot of extraneous noise get somewhere where you have a, a, a strong reliable internet connection and make sure that your that your sound sounds good mm -hmm. to the person on the other end because there's nothing that, that will take you out of an interview more than technical glitches in the middle of it and it's really hard to build rapport when you've got technical glitches and and you know frame rate stutters and, and all this stuff while you're trying to have a conversation yeah. with somebody who wants to hire you. Um, that's that's not going to make a good impression, even if it's not technically your fault. Um, it's, Absolutely. It's not not to mention that a lot of people interviewing uh, from home or interviewing from you know somewhere they think it, they, that things are stable and safe, outside noise can be a real problem. You know, dog barks consistently in the background. Your you know, buddies are in the next room playing a loud video game. I mean, that kind of stuff can just... It, it's, it's interview suicide. Um, so making sure that you're somewhere... Somewhere yeah, engaging yeah. and quiet and well lit. Uh, I mean, that by itself will already just create a more professional, more engaging experience for somebody on the other end of this very, you know, sort of stationary image. Um, it'll help. It'll help boost your your profile with them, and you'll look like you took the time to really care about it. Yeah, and and that goes beyond just the technical stuff too. It's if you are, you know, if you you, you would you should prepare for it the way you would prepare for any other interview, right? You, you should actually get dressed up for the interview, um, not necessarily because of how you will appear, but because of how it will make you feel, right? If you, even if, you, even if there's no video, for instance, even if you're just doing an audio, an audio interview over Skype, um, the difference between the way that you feel when you are <clears throat> sitting at your desk, wearing your, you know, your, your interview outfit, sitting up straight, um, feeling confident and engaged and professional, Versus when you're like lying back on your bed in your PJs, talking on you know Skype even with the video off, like you sound mm -hmm. different, right? And and people pick up on that even if they're not even even if they're not doing it consciously, they will pick up on that. Yeah, there's a lot to the subconscious that people don't consider in these things, and that goes for in-person interviews as well as Skype ones, right? There's in it's almost in the same way that we sometimes pick who we like as president. There has to be a certain quality in many for many people about, do I find this person engaging? And when you are doing an over the, you know, when you're doing a, a an over the internet interview of any kind, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, Skype or, or just even audio, you know, you're just using your phone. Um, there's such a personal disconnect that can happen there. There's such a, a, a almost um, a, a dissociation. It doesn't feel quite like a human engagement. So you have to overcome that extra hurdle and, and, you know, psychologically, the, that interview is going to be already sort of starting in a not a negative place, but not a positive one with you either. And you have to overcome that quickly or you're not going to be as likely to get the position. Yeah, a bad first impression is hard to overcome. Yeah. It's there's, possible, but it's hard. And there's no reason to, to set yourself off. You as know, somebody who has zero. definitely set a bad precedent early, I can attest to how long it takes to fix that. One of my one of my earliest clients, uh, this Teague, I don't know that you know this story. 
So one of my earliest clients with whom I will not uh, share their name for their privacy, um, uh, I was traveling to the West Coast right after we got things kicked off and I had scheduled a meeting with them for, it was the first of a series of weekly meetings we were going to have and they had requested that we do 9 a.m. their time, which of course was 6 a.m. on the West Coast. And I figured, well, okay, not a problem. I'll get up at 5.30, give myself enough time to just get a quick cup of coffee and then we'll be fine. And of course, you know, I got up at 5.55, realized what time it was, scrambled to turn on, you know, turn on uh, uh, Google Hangouts. Uh, thankfully, it was audio only, so they could not see my mop top of a hair. And, you know, within 30 seconds, I was blathering and, you know, just all just falling over myself trying to make a good impression. And it was so utterly painful that that after a minute, she said, you know, she stopped me. She says, it sounds to me like things are maybe not quite where they need to be do you think maybe we can call, you know, we can try this again in 90 minutes and then just politely hangs up. And I spent of the next 90 <laughs> minutes, easily 83 of them Oof. just pissed and stressed. And my gut was, you know, twisted in a knot. It was awesome. And then I spent the last seven minutes getting my act together, got on the call with them. And of course it was perfectly professional and fine. But the next six months I was, I could feel every time we got on the phone that there was just that little like, is he going to be as equally unprepared that like I burned one of my two challenges right from the get go and it was going to take a while to mm -hmm. earn them back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was not great, Bob. Yeah, not great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll so if she's if she's listening, I'm super sorry. That was really that was that was just that was rookie right there. Anyway. Well, you know, we all we all have to make our rookie mistakes. That's how we yeah. that's how we become. So veterans. they keep telling me, I keep making all the rookie mistakes. When do I get to be a veteran? Is there a badge I'm missing? <laughs> or at least journeyman, right? We, we go we go from like it's, we're not veterans okay, yet. So but if maybe somebody journeyman. could go to startupjab.com and send me some sort of certificate that at least indicates that I'm an intermediate, I would take that at this point. <laughs> it's like signing up for one of those inter. Exactly. No it's like signing up for an internet church. I realize that it technically has no real world value, but it makes me feel good anyway. And I would really like to have that. So if somebody could help me out anyway. Um, does does uh, Universal Life Church have, have certificates for like not a rookie anymore? You know, they probably do. Um, I'm also, I'm, I'm not only a member of the Universal Life Church. I, at one point I remember signed up for the Church of the Latter-day Dude, which is apparently a religion based on the Big Lebowski. I would take a certificate from either at this point. <laughs> yeah okay yeah. good to know it's uh you know your your, your it, birthday it was, was recently, if somebody's right? looking so, for a belated birthday present may, maybe somebody <laughs> maybe maybe something's in the mail i just you know i mean? feel also we should point out that startup jab as an entity does not endorse nor particularly you know subscribe to any one uh church uh we think they're all pretty great just throwing that out there just in case anybody was curious i mean internet churches <laughs> specifically <laughs> We, 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 we have no, we have no, 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 of course not, because they're all, they're, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they're all great, except for the terrible ones. Anyway. All right. Exactly. So exactly. moving on to our, moving on to our next question. Um, another good question coming from Quora. Uh, Somebody is asking, uh, what are some options to work for myself with low startup costs as a college student? Which dovetails with our question earlier about. Um, you know, uh, the question regarding actually both angel investors from your parents, as well as the business competitions. Um, I think starting a business as you, as a college student is really smart. Um, I, for me, I would point to 
starting up a service of some kind. In college, I made beer money by fixing people's internet at home and setting up, you know, uh, uh, VPNs for them and taking care of email problems and that kind of stuff. It wasn't great money to start. Hey, hey Air Five. All right. Please tell me you imagine that because I actually there you go. I actually did the Air Five towards my computer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. Yeah, I, I, so I completed it on this end. Yep, um, good. Yeah, I mean, I think something <laughs> low threshold and, you know, take a skill you already have and try to sell it, I think is a great place to start because it'll teach you a lot about what you can, you know, what people are willing to pay for, um, you know, and, and you get to take a look at yourself and have an honest yeah, estimation think, of your and, skills. And, yeah, yeah. And I think you're right that it's, you know, the the um, working for yourself in college is great because you have a lot of flexibility and you kind of need that when you're trying to also finish college. Um, low startup costs, like, as you said, a service business just mm -hmm. right off the bat, right? The, the cost associated with a service business can be almost nothing. Um, and you can start, you can start very small, right. And, and, uh, and decide how quickly and how much you want to grow it. Um, and you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, we, we were both geeks and pretty good with computers. And so we worked on computers and, and did a lot of that. And that was a, a skill that was in demand. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that is, uh, that is hard to do. It can be something just that people don't want to do, right? Like it could be as simple as like, oh, you know, it's college, people hate doing their laundry. You could like do their laundry for them and take a cut off the top. And if you figure out a way to like, do that more efficiently. Maybe you start making some more money, and then you you figure out how to scale it. And you you have a lot of ways to you know to bootstrap into something, um, but just you know by doing stuff that other people don't want to do. Um, I think that you know it's easy as a college student to uh, to also fall into the trap of of only doing things for other college students because like you've got all of these potential customers right here, um, and it's part of why a lot of um, businesses started in college sort of stay in college. Um, that people don't think about like college students are actually a very small proportion of, yeah. the, of the marketplace. Um, so there's a limit to how much you can scale that. But, um, but yeah, and, you know, and, and particularly also because at that stage, you know, you may not have the same obligations as somebody who's in their say thirties or forties. Um, you can start with yeah. something really small um, and you can build the skills to get into doing stuff, you know, that you really want to do. You can, you know, you can teach yourself how to build simple websites and then like build websites for people on, on Odesk or what, or, you know, whatever, um, as a way to get more sure. practice building websites, right? When you're, when you're starting off at the ground level, um, there's plenty of people who are willing to pay you a very small fee to do something for them. And often, you know, it's not a very great fee, but if you get, you know, better at it by doing it more, you can start charging more and you can start, figuring out how to market Yeah, and the one thing I would point to, um, this is a great time in life where you can, you have the least, you know, you have the least responsibility with the most freedom. And uh, the risk is pretty low in terms mm -hmm. of things that you start. Um, the book that I like to point people towards, whether they're in college or, or, you know, my age or older, and they're looking to start their first business and they want to keep their initial costs low, um, The $100 Startup is a spectacular book that, Chris Gilbo. Chris and, Gilbo. Uh, it's one of those things. It's one of those yeah. things where, um, you know, we tend to think of startups as being sort of universally uh, uh, high capital to start. And the reality is that there are lots of things that people still do today that aren't necessarily tech related, but they're startups that don't cost money to start. It's it's you know kill what you or it's eat what you kill, and and you can scale it from there. Particularly if you're just you know a one or two person thing. 
um, you know, and you're not necessarily looking to turn it into your life's work. There's lots of ways to get, you know, some money in the door and learn on the road. Um, so definitely a book I would look at uh, for anybody who is considering, you know, starting a business and wants to keep their costs virtually zero. Yeah. Well, and and, and it's also worth thinking about, um, you know, there's there's the there's the saying like in, in your career there's a time mm -hmm. to learn and a mm -hmm. time to earn, and if you're still in college, you're definitely yeah. in the time to learn phase. So like pick a business where you can actually learn some things that will get, set you on the path towards the things you want to be doing later in your career. Yeah. Right. Like if you, if you hate, you know, if you, if you never want to work in the restaurant industry or the service industry, don't start a business doing yeah. that in college. Right. Cause you'll learn a bunch of things that, well, you know, some of it is transferable, right? Running a business has a lot of transferable skills, but not nearly as much of it is, is, is transferable as if you started a business in another area that you actually have some more interest in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you want to, I don't know, if you want to work at, like, making video games, start off making, you know, pen and paper games. Start off running, you know, D&D campaigns for your friends and then writing up those campaigns into self-contained units and selling them online, right? There's a lot of ways to, to get into to industries where you can, you know, the, the entry cost is very low. And you're not going to make a ton of money. You're not going to get rich doing it, but you're going to build the skills that allow you to do the really cool stuff yeah. later in your yeah. career. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, my one regret actually is not that I, you know, I mean, I did this stuff in college and it certainly worked. I just wish that I'd taken a little bit more time then to try some of the things out that would have made my life a lot easier when I got started now. Um, you know, I think... Uh, Oh, I wish I just experimented with, you know, trying silly ideas. I wish I'd learned to fail a little bit. And I know we use that as sort of a, mm. you know, everybody's like, you got to learn to fail. You got to learn to fail fast, and, uh, you know, guess. repeat and blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I actually just wish that I'd learned to just be okay with the fact that I was going to screw some things up pretty royally. Um, you know, and. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's two things that people usually mean when they talk about, um, you know, learning to fail. One of them is you know, learning to actually get something out of your failure. So actually learning something from it. And I think this is, this is, that's a message that often gets lost in, in a lot of conversations is like failure is mm -hmm. not actually good, right? It's learning from failure is good, but right. failing is not the goal, right? We don't want to fail at business. We want to be able to learn from it. Um, but the other part that, that you're, that you alluded to is, is this idea that, um, you know, get, getting some comfort with failure such that fear of failure doesn't stop us from yeah. trying things. Yeah. I think that's that's a really hard one that you know I'm still working with that too is 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 you know when you when you look at something you're like oh that's crazy I might fail and people might think I'm really stupid and everybody will laugh at me yeah and so I'm not going to try it and and being able to overcome that and and particularly like if you have a, if you try some things and you fail at them and you realize like oh actually the world didn't end um that can be very useful for for being more comfortable with um, with just with, with just pushing it out there yeah. before you think it's perfect, right? Well, and ironically, as somebody who I mean, as somebody who spent his youth auditioning for plays, you would think that I would be very good at failing. But <laughs> actually, until I got to college, I I don't think there was a play I auditioned for that I didn't get cast in in some way. So I think interestingly, I was particularly mm. bad at that kind of stuff in college, um, and and would have been very I mean. It would have been a steep learning curve for me if I had tried two or three business ideas and just hit a wall. It would have, you know, I mean, I think it would have provided a much better mm -hmm. sense of things for me today. But, um, yeah, I would have been badly suited for that. On the plus side, I'm sure I would have come up with some ridiculous ideas that would have been a ton of fun. 
So, so what you're saying is either you're a brilliant actor or you didn't well, set your sights uh, high I enough. Mean, you should have yeah, been trying out for it's Broadway. Neither. I think it's I think it's when you're 16 and you're auditioning for your <laughs> high school shows and you can string two words together, you have a better shot than you know the kids who get stage fright every time they go up for an audition. I think unfortunately, I I was perhaps perhaps I had a foot mm. up that I did not recognize, and then by you know by the time I got to college and the the playing field was a lot more equal, I was like, oh, I'm not as good at this as I used to be. F it, I'll do something else. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's okay. Aww. There's there's no need to feel sorry for me. I made up the difference later. It's fine. It's fine. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um anyway. So yeah, I, I think uh I think that there's a lot of opportunity in college that, that folks should take advantage of. Um can you think of a I mean, if you could go back I know you hate yeah. these questions. If you could go back and and try something in college, is there a kind of business <laughs> you would have tried? I don't know. I think I think the thing that I, um, the thing that I probably didn't do enough of was I I was f so focused on um, you know just maximizing my hourly rate and spending n no time on the business mm -hmm. but making money off of it, um, and not really spending any time on growing the business. So I didn't hire other employees. I didn't train people up. I didn't try to turn it into something that could actually scale, um, and so it turned into you know it amounted to nothing in the end. Um, in that like when I stopped being interested in doing sort of IT consulting, I basically shut it down. Mm. Um, and there was not any residual value because like the value in it was just my expertise, um, which, you know, there's, there's, I guess, I guess that's probably valuable. You know, there's some value in that, that I brought with me to the next things that I worked on. Um, but, uh, but I didn't, I didn't go about building a business the way that I probably would now. Um, and I think I missed some opportunities because of that. But, uh, you know, as, as, as <laughs> you, yeah. as you know, when you ask me these questions, I'm, I'm happy with with where I right, with, exactly. where, with where I end up. Eventually. Well, then that gets into the larger question of you know, going back and changing one thing changes everything. I get it, the butterfly effect. I like Ashton Kutcher too. Okay, I get it. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, um, well, I think I, I think that's uh, I think that's a good spate of questions there. I mean, I, I feel like we've got. I feel like the one theme about today that is is pretty important is to say that that there's always a lot of opportunity out there. It's really important to to find the right things for people. Um, but you have to prepare. I mean, whether it's, it's, you know, business competitions leading to jobs or Skype interviews, you know, and making sure that you're set up well for that. There's just, um, there's a lot of opportunity out there and there's a lot of chance to, to try new and interesting things and you have to be willing to take those risks. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of luck involved in the startup space, but, Indeed. uh, luck favors Not the prepared. Bold. Those guys are dumb, but they're also beautiful. Damn it. The bold and the beautiful. I love that show. <laughs> anyway. I've actually never watched it. I, I was going more with a like uh, Ravenclaw versus. It's all Harry Potter with you. Gryffindor you are literally the worst. Yeah, That's not yeah. true. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a huge geek and totally cool. proud of it. Um, well, we appreciate your time and joining us for uh, this episode of Startup Jab. Uh, Teague, if folks want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh, folks can reach me at teaguehopkins.com that's t-e-a-g-u-e-h-o-p-k-i-n-s.com very cool dot com. com i was, was that the i was uh, the just gonna do that um nice um and you can find me actually <laughs> at tw uh, on twitter at jason nellis and that's j-a-s-o-n-n-e-l-l-i-s uh, and of course, uh, we appreciate you listening to us. Be sure to sign up for our mailing list at startupjab.com. And uh, if you liked us, leave us a review and tell your friends. Uh, Teague, 
Any last words before we go? Mm, silence. Ah, disestablishmentarianism. No, I'll no, go with I, rhubarb. I That's one of my favorite words. Yeah, yeah. It is. And sassafras. Oh, Those are my chosen words like when it comes to these questions. Anyway. Rhubarb and All sassafras. Right. Anyway, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Wow. I, I totally lost the train there of what What's we were okay? talking about. That's good. We're good. <laughs> we're all good. We're just going to keep rolling. Um, if you sure, are uh, new to Scrubchat and you want to, eh, we could cut it out or we could just leave it in. It's always more entertaining when you leave in the bloopers, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs>